0: today we come to uh, probably the most well-known minor prophet, uh, the one that even if you're not really a Bible background person, you haven't read a lot of the Bible, you probably have heard of this guy, Jonah, the prophet who got swallowed by the big fish or the whale. Sort of a famous story in the Bible, a classic kind of Sunday school kids' story uh, that, that children love to learn about. It's, it's just so interesting. And, and Jonah really does stand out from the rest of the minor prophets. It's, it's a unique book uh, for a number of reasons. One reason it's unique is that it's primarily a story about Jonah. Whereas you read the other minor prophets in the Old Testament that we've been studying, and they're mostly the words of the prophet. It's, this is what the prophet said. But when you read Jonah, there's almost no prophecy in it. There's just one little kind of prophet, prophecy word that we'll get a little bit later on. But it's mostly about him. Jonah is also unique in that some, uh, many of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, they would uh, preach about other nations, but God actually told Jonah to go to another nation. And so he, he's kind of this traveling prophet who has to go across the world to speak God's word. But perhaps the thing for which Jonah is most unique is that God told Jonah to go, and Jonah said, no. He is the disobedient prophet. He's the runaway prophet. He's the prophet who said, no thanks, God. I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you said. Uh, my wife and I have been cracking up recently. There's this new, uh, new videos on uh, YouTube. Uh, you, you should, if you check it out today, it's a great Father's Day thing to do. Look, look up on YouTube, conversations with my two-year-old. Hilarious. Basically what it is, is it's a guy who's had these, you know, conversations with a stubborn little two-year-old. And he reenacts them on video, except he has an adult man playing the role of the two-year-old. Which is a little weird, but hilarious. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I kind of feel like as I'm reading Jonah, it's sort of like conversa- God's conversations with his two-year-old. You know, Jonah? this is what you're going to do. No, that's not what I'm going to do. You know? And if you've, if you've had a, a toddler in your life, if you have a toddler in your life, we pray for you. Uh, and that's what God had. He had Jonah in his life. And here's Jonah. No, I'm not going to do it. So let's look at the story of Jonah, this, this runaway prophet and I want to look at chapter 1 in, in sort of four sections. So basically what I'm going to do in this message, I just want to walk through the story. The story kind of tells itself. It's just such a, a great story. And I kind of just want to be your tour guide through Jonah. And we're just going to walk through Jonah. and I just want to point things out along the way. And, and I want to move through it in four sections. So kind of, sort of take four little uh, scenic stops along this tour. As we read this fascinating story about Jonah the runaway prophet, God and his toddler. And so the the first uh, segment that I want to point out is is all just entitled disobedience. It starts with an act of disobedience. Verses 1 to 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah begins just like pretty much all the other minor prophets. It starts with God's word coming to find him. God's word comes to him and God says, hey, look, I need you to take a message to whoever and I need you to say this. And so in some ways it starts off just like all of the minor prophets. Here's Jonah getting a word from God. And the word is, if you look at verse 2, Go to preach to the great city of Nineveh, or go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital city, or at least one of the royal cities of uh, what in that day in, in the ninth century BC was the Assyrian empire. And the Assyrians, in their day were the big, scary bullies in the ancient world. They were aggressive, they were oppressive. They were violent, they, they crushed nations before them with impunity, and, and sort of like nobody could stop the Assyrian war machine. They were feared in the ancient Near Eastern world in which Israel was there. It was a very hostile neighbor. And, and so the, uh, they had been bad to Israel, they would continue to be bad to Israel. They're one of the classic bad guys of the New Testament. And so God is saying, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to the capital city, and I want you to preach against this city because, look at that, its wickedness has come up before me. It's, it's sort of like, you know, the, the amount of evil that was going on in Assyria and in Nineveh, the, the amount of oppression and violence and bloodshed and the worship of idols and the worship of false gods, you, you know, the polytheism, it, it, God had just had enough of it. God is very patient, but there comes this point for nations and for people, where it just comes up before God and He says, That's it. Jonah, you got to go tell these people, I've had it. We're at the end of the line with Nineveh and Assyria, and you're going to go and you're going to preach against it and let these people know that. And so, uh, you know, it just reminds us that God is the God of all nations. It's one of the themes in the Minor Prophets. God rules all nations. Even nations that don't believe in Him, God rules them, He's the King. You know, whether we believe in it or not, you don't vote for kings. You know, they just are. And here's, here's God. He's the king of all the world. And he says, I've had it with Nineveh. So Jonah, go preach. So, so far, verses 1 and 2, nothing surprising. Nothing surprising that God would send a prophet. Nothing surprising that God would have it up to here with a nation and, dis- and decree its destruction. The surprising thing comes in verse 3. Jonah... Ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish, like what <laughs> you know you know where 's Tarshish? Not totally sure, but pretty much we know it 's the opposite direction of Nineveh. if you think of, you know, think of this pulpit as kind of the land of Israel, so here 's the Mediterranean and there 's like the Arabian Peninsula over there and, and sort of the, the, the Middle Eastern area, so Nineveh would be that way, sort of to the north east and uh, it, it would be uh, right near what would be modern day Mosul or Mosul in uh, northern Iraq in fact archaeologists have uncovered you know the city of Nineveh we know exactly where it is and uh, it's it's up there in northern Iraq so so for Jonah to go to Nineveh would be to go to east we're not exactly sure where Tarshish was but we do know it was west into the Mediterranean ocean Uh, it's possible the word Tarshish just means the ocean. It's also possible that it was a place in Spain or somewhere in the Mediterranean. But wherever it was, uh, I think we get the picture. God said, go east, young man. And Jonah said, "Uh, yeah, I'm going to go west. Yeah, go go into the desert. Uh, I'm actually going to go into the ocean. I want you to go speak to Nineveh. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. It's an act of disobedience. You know, what a perfect picture of disobedience. I mean that's it. It's conversations with my toddler. I want you to do this. No. 180 degrees. I'm doing that. I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you say. And it raises a question right at the beginning. Why why did Jonah run away? You, know, you kind of have to get into the psychology of this a little bit. Why was he running away in the logic of this story? Why would he possibly disobey God? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, wouldn't you love it if God spoke to you and actually told you to do something? I mean, how many times in your life have you been like, I wish God would just tell me what to do? You know, you've prayed that or wondered that. I wish God would just be clear and I would just know, do this or do that. And so here's God saying, Jonah, I actually have a direct job for you. No, I'm not doing that. Why wouldn't you do that, Jonah? It's it's just so strange. And I I think the basic answer that we're going to find in the book of Jonah is this. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want the Ninevites to have one last chance to turn away from their sins. That's the bottom line. Jonah didn't want, he wanted them nuked. He wanted God to wipe them out. They were bad. They were evil. They were oppressing nations. They had threatened God's holy land. They had threatened God's people Israel. Jonah was a, he was a patriot. And he didn't like the Assyrians. And he knew, he knew that if he went to Nineveh and he walked around Nineveh and said, Nineveh is about to be destroyed. God's tired of all your sin. He knew there was like this outside chance that the Ninevites would be like, oh, "I'm, so, we're, you're right, we're sorry," and they'd repent. And he's like, "And I just know God. If they repent, God will forgive." <sighs> you know, Jonah. You know, Jonah loves the fact that God's a gracious God, but just not for Assyrians. That's the problem, right? Look at chapter four. I, I, you know, we're not supposed to turn to the end of the story, but it might just help you here to know how the story turns out because I, I think it'll just kind of frame. Jonah, for you. So we'll get to chapter four in a couple weeks, but basically he does, he does go to Nineveh. They do repent, and God does spare them. So I'll ruin the story. But look at chapter four, verse one. Here's Jonah's reaction. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. Oh, He's telling us why he fled. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. There it is. I know who you are. I, I know you're a gracious God. And I know you've got a huge heart. And I know that if those people repented, you would not nuke them. And so that's why I ran. I didn't want that to happen. And now my worst fears have come true. See, I told you so, God. You know, it, it's that kind of mentality. So Jonah is fleeing from God because he doesn't want God's mercy and grace for the nations and for God's enemies. God is a missionary God. God is a missionary God. God. He has a heart for the lost, he has a heart for those who are far away, he has a heart for the enemies, he has a heart for, for people who who should be nuked. And he's still there reaching out to the last possible minute. He's so gracious and patient and compassionate. But Jonah doesn't want anything to do with it. He's running away. I'm out of here, God, I'm leaving. And what it shows us is that Jonah's disobedience actually has a deeper level to it. At one level, the disobedience is very surface. It's very obvious. God said, go there. Jonah said, no, I'm not going there. But it shows you that there's another level to the disobedience. And, and it's really this. If I could put it this way, it's that Jonah's heart was out of alignment with God's heart. That was the real problem. God is a gracious and compassionate God. He's merciful here. And... and and Jonah has no mercy, you know? And just to be clear, and I want to really make this really clear, the message of Jonah is not, you're okay, I'm okay, and God loves us all, and don't worry about it, and there's no hell. That's not the message of Jonah. There is judgment in Jonah. God really is about to destroy Nineveh. Sin is real. God really hates sin. But he's also a loving God. So so I I don't want God's holiness and judgment to be lost here. Again, verse two, the wickedness of Nineveh has come up before me. God is sick of them. He's about to judge them, but he's so compassionate that even at the last minute, he holds out grace for a wicked and evil nation. The problem is that Jonah's heart is out of alignment with that, and he doesn't share the compassion that God has. You know, Jonah is like... um, Jonah's like the Pharisees in the New Testament with Jesus. You know, here's Jesus. He's eating. He's having meal with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and bad people. All the people who don't care about God's laws. And the Pharisees are going, what gives? Why would you eat with those people? (laughs) You know, you're going to let them think that what they're doing is okay. And what was Jesus' answer? His answer wasn't, look. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. He's like, no, 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 no. They are sinful. They're they're not following God. But he says, I'm a physician. And it's the sick who need the physician. I came to seek and save the lost. Yes, they are lost, but you're forgetting that God's heart is a missionary heart. That God has a compassionate heart even for his enemies, even for rebels, even for people who just flaunt him. He's so long-suffering and patient that he saves sinners. Isn't that the whole gospel? God saves sinners. And I think we, we say that, but we're like, well, think about what you're saying. Sinful people who are you know, going the opposite way, and God finds them and he hunts them down, and he has mercy upon whom he has mercy. He's an awesome God. And Jonah's heart was out of alignment with that. Jonah was like the Pharisees. Or, or if you want to use another New Testament example, uh, you know the, pro, the, the parable of the prodigal son who runs away to a far land? Jonah's like the older brother in that story. who When, when the, the younger brother comes back, jo, you know, the, the older brother's like, uh, this isn't fair. Why would you forgive him? Why would you throw a party for him? I've been obeying you, and he's the bad one. You know? and, and God's like, he was dead. He's alive. Don't you care? And so within Jonah, there is a, uh, there's a kind of rigidity and a hardness in Jonah's heart that, that he doesn't rejoice to see God's glory expressed in mercy. He loves to see God's glory expressed in judgment, but he doesn't want to see God's glory expressed in mercy and kindness. And so his heart is out of alignment with God's heart. So he's out of there. We'll talk more about that. That really comes out in chapter 4. But for now, we'll, we'll just say that. He's, he's gone and he disobeys. And so he runs from the Lord. He goes east, or west rather. But in going west, he also goes down. And this is something you have to understand about disobedience. When you disobey God, you're going down. Right? Verse 3. He went down to Joppa. And when he found a ship bound for that port, after paying the fare, he went aboard. Okay, in Hebrew, it's literally, he went down into the ship. So twice in the same verse, you have this verb, go down, go down. And and I think what what the the author here is doing is just using some some nice literary skill to to suggest there's this sort of downward trajectory for Jonah. And if we know the story... He hasn't finished his descent yet, has he? <laughs> He's going to go down, 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 down. That's the direction. So in the, uh, the, the cosmic um, cartography of, of the Bible, up is where God is, down is where death is. T- to go to God is to go up. To go to Zion is to go up. We lift up our hands to the Lord. We lift up our eyes to God. But, but to disobey God is to go into death and destruction. The grave is down. Hell is a pit. And, and so for Jonah to be going down, is, is, it shows you what happens when we disobey. And you know, we, we can disobey God, we can flaunt his laws, but we don't understand. Sometimes we're going down. And it seems fine and everything seems good, but we are on the path to the grave. And so there's Jonah. Jonah. Going down, going away from God, disobeying God, his heart out of alignment with God. It's a, it's a picture in that few short verses of what it looks like for us. I mean, I can see myself in the mirror here when I'm going away from God. And I refuse to do what he says, and it's because deep down my heart is out of sync and out of whack. And so that takes us to the next scene in this story, verses 4-7, to seven, which I will entitle The Disaster. So there's a disobedience. Jonah runs, but God, God comes after him, and he sends a disaster upon him. Verses 4 through 7 is where we see that. And, uh, and, and in this scene, we see the great and awesome power of God. You know, we can, we can be a little toddler. We can say, no, I'm not going to do it. But, you know, the parent can swoop in and grab the toddler and be like, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> you know, put you in your, you know, your uh, timeout chair or whatever. You know, because that's the parent. And so that's the picture we see here is God's sovereignty. And God's like, you're going to run from me? Fine. Here's a disaster. And and so just as Jonah wanted a disaster to come upon Nineveh, a disaster comes upon him. And you'll notice God's power in this. Look how great and awesome God is in these verses. You know, you, you think of Jonah as a story about the big fish. It's really the story about the big God. Look how awesome he is. He's awesome in that he sends a storm. Verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind. In Hebrew, it's literally, he hurled a great wind. I just think of God like on the mound winding up, you know, hurling a great wind. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. God is God over the wind. He's God over, the nat- over creation. God created all things. He reigns over all things. You know, if, if, if you don't believe in God or you struggle with belief in the existence of God, I mean, exhibit one is the world. It's exhibit one. I mean, look at the world. It's amazing. God made it and he rules it and, and he can control it and send it where he wants it to go. He's an awesome God. And he sends the storm upon Jonah because he can. Number two, notice by negative example, by way of contrast, that the gods of the sailors are impotent. Verse five, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. Now, you know a storm is bad when all the sailors are praying. When you get a boat of sailors praying, you know it's a bad storm okay? It's the, you know, these are the salty, tough guys, and they're praying. So, this storm must have been, you know, a perfect storm kind of storm. And they're terrified. They're crying out to their gods. But here's against the point. It doesn't fix anything. Why? Because their gods aren't gods. So, so it, by way of negative example, God's power and greatness is highlighted because they're praying to the you know, to Neptune or whoever. They're praying to the storm god or the wind god or this god, you know, the, the polytheistic pantheon. But they don't realize there's only one god and he's the creator of all things. There's just one lord. And so, so they're praying to all these gods and the fact that nothing changes as a result of that, just sort of by way of negative example, highlights again the sovereignty and greatness of God. Or, or notice the greatness and power god and God uh, of God in that he sends the captain of the ship down in to find Jonah. Check this out. Look at verse five. Jonah had gone down below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. You know, hey, we're all praying, man. Maybe your God will help us. I don't know, whatever works. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we'll not perish. Just join us, help us. Pray to somebody, I don't care. Right? Here's something interesting. All right, check this out. This is so Ridiculous. The captain went to him and he said, how can you sleep? Get up, all right? The Hebrew word for get up is kum. And he says, call on your God. The Hebrew word for call is kara. So it's alliteration. Hebrew is so poetic. Kum, kara. He gives him two directives, two imperatives. Kum, kara, you know? Get up and cry out, man. Go back to verse two. What is the original imperative that God gave Jonah? Verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh. It's kum, get up. And what are you supposed to do in Nineveh? Preach, kara. How freaked out must Jonah have been to wake up in the hold of a ship to find some pagan sea captain, you know, waking him up, Get up, me matey, you know. Kum <laughs> kara. And he's hearing the words that God spoke to him. Echoed again. So, I mean, of course, the captain doesn't know. But it just shows the sovereignty of God. He, he does these things. Where, where we get, haven't you ever had weird coincidences in your life that you just can't explain? And you're like, ah, oh, just a coincidence. What if it's not? What if God is arranging circumstances in your life that can't fully be explained by natural causes because he's like, hello, and we're speaking. And so here's this coincidence where this captain wakes him up and says the very two imperative verbs that God had spoken to him when he called him to get up and go. And then, of course, God's sovereignty in in how they finally figure out. They cast lots, right? Verse 7, the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for the calamity. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. And there's God's great power again. God's great power is in the storm. It's shown by the fact that the other gods can't save. It's there in the words of the captain. and Then even the casting of lots. So it's like, okay, wait a minute. The pagan polytheistic sailors who don't know God are using divination they're using sorcery of a sort to find out who's to blame because they're like this is so big that this there has to be someone at fault here. This is a ridiculous storm. And and so they're using some like superstitious form of divination to find out who did it. And God overrules and uses the pagan polytheistic divination to put his finger right on Jonah. And say, yep, that's the guy. And, oh, Jonah doesn't have a chance. And neither do we. If we think we can run from God or walk away from him or not do what he calls us, God finds us. He chases us down. He's inescapable. You know, it's not just that there's a storm that found Jonah, but then the captain goes down and pulls out Jonah, and then they throw the, the, the bones or the, you know, the marbles or the 20-sided dice or whatever they throw and you are the one. God finds him and God finds us too. He's so awesome. You can't run from God. You can't hide from God. God rules all things. And so finally Jonah is caught, busted, no escape. The spotlight of heaven shines down on him and everybody knows it. And so that brings me to the third the third part of the story. So there was disobedience. Then there was a disaster. Because Jonah disobeyed, God sent a disaster. The disaster found him, brought him up out of the ship, and spotlighted him right there in front of everybody. So then that brings to the third segment here, which is what what I'll call discovery. Jonah is discovered. He's now laid bare. Everybody can see him. And so they ask him, verse 8, tell us Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where are you from? What country is yours? What people are you? What did you tell us? What's going on? And he answers verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I worship, literally it's I fear, the God, the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. There's such a disconnect between verses 9 and 10. Isn't there such a crazy disconnect? Because on the one hand, like Jonah is he's preaching the truth to them. He's like, I worship the true God. He's the creator, he rules all the land and the sea. That's who I serve. He's right. He's got, he's got the right theology. The pagan polytheists have the wrong theology. They're wrong about the gods. He's actually right about God. Right? So what he's saying is true, what they're saying is false. But then <laughs> You know, he doesn't do what God says. And so they're like, well, why? well, if you know that, and he's the God of everything, and obviously he's doing a number here on the sea, why aren't you obeying him? And so there's this weird disconnect between what Jonah knows and what Jonah does. And again, I think it gets at the heart of disobedience. In, in disobedience, there's always a dislocation not only between God's heart and our heart, but also one thing you see when, when we're in a state of disobedience against God is there's, there's often a, a disassociation between what we know and what we, what we believe in, in our hearts and what we do with our lives, right? So Jonah knows the right doctrine, but he's living the wrong way. There's a term for this. That there's a word that people use to describe this. Uh, it, it's called dead orthodoxy. Have you ever heard of that phrase, dead orthodoxy? Uh, Orthodoxy just means the right doctrine. So in other words, someone who's orthodox is someone who believes the right truths. But a dead orthodoxy is somebody who believes the right truths, but their heart isn't stirred, their life isn't changed. It's kind of like, yeah, they know all the right doctrines, but but it's not affecting them. It's not stirring their heart, you know, to, to use the old cliche. You know, the truth up here hasn't made the, the one-foot journey to here. And, and there's no stirring in their heart for God. You know, Jonah, Jonah is not, he knows who God is, but somehow it hasn't affected him so that he's saying, oh, Lord, you are the great God. I, I worship you. He just, you know, he has the truths up here. And uh, he's like the Pharisees again. Such a great example of the Pharisees. I keep seeing the Pharisees in Jonah. You know, they knew a lot of the right truths. They knew a lot of the right scriptures. But when it comes to how they treated one another, they were hardline. They were ruthless. They were compassionless. And they didn't have compassion on those who were hurting and broken. It was like they, they missed it somehow. It didn't make the journey. And so then they behaved a certain way. And I think this is just such a huge danger for us religious people. This is a huge danger for Christians, especially for us. You know, we're, for, for those of you, who are, if you're new here, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not going to necessarily force you into the, the word us. But for those of us who are us, who are members of this church, you know, we're, we're Bible-believing Christians. We study the Bible because we believe this is God's word. And, and we want to understand the Bible, and we want to get it right, and we want to get the truth right. Because we've spent our whole lives out there listening to every other story and all it did was ruin us. And then we found the truth in God's word and it saved us. So we love the Bible. because We're like, wow, this is God's word. This is amazing how it speaks to us. But th- here's the danger. Hmm? Is that we can slowly substitute our knowledge of doctrine and of the Bible for God himself. We can have a dead orthodoxy where you can answer all the Sunday school questions. You can give all the right answers to all the theology trivia. You can open your Bible to Jonah without me telling you the page number. But your heart is just far from God, and we become dead. This is a big concern for all you children who are being raised in the church. All all the teenagers being raised in the church right now. You know, some of you guys, you you don't know how awesome it is. I just want to say to all the kids here and all the teenagers, you guys don't know how blessed you are to have parents who are bringing you to church. You just don't know the kinds of things you're potentially being protected from. What a blessing to have parents who would bring you to a church where you could learn about God. But also be careful that you don't think that Christianity is just learning all the answers to the Sunday school questions. That's the danger of being raised in a church is that you think that that's all it is. It's just the right answers to the right trivia. It's got to get to your heart. Because ultimately, people, we do and we live what's in our hearts, not what's in our heads. People don't live what's in their head. They think they do, but they don't. We live what's in our hearts. Now, hopefully, what's in our heads is going to affect our heart But at the end of the day, whatever's in your heart is how you live. We just respond by, you know, the heart is what you desire. It's, It's your heart's desires. And people always behave according to their desires. And then they behave according to their desires, and then they go back and tell themselves that their logic told them to do it. But it wasn't their logic. We just do what we do. People follow their hearts, not their brains. Then we go back and rationalize our behavior with our brains. This is how human beings work. So it's so important that our hearts are shaped by our heads, that, that, that we take the time to say, all right, whatever it is I believe about God, it's got to go beyond just my head. It's got to go down into my heart. It's got to affect what I desire and what I believe, because that's going to change your behavior and change your life, is as God's truth affects your, goes into your head and then down through your heart and then out through your life. This is the the flow of biblical truth transforming us, renewing our minds and changing our heart's desires through the Spirit. And so here's Jonah. What an example he is to us. Again, I see myself right there having all the right answers, but not loving others, not loving God, not having a missionary heart, not believing that God could really save the worst enemies and the bad people. And there's Jonah. So what does he say? They say, well, what do you want us to do? You know, verse 11, the sea is getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do? How do we make the sea stop? And he says, well, pick me up and throw me in. It'll become calm. What's he saying? He's saying, just kill me. Why does he tell them to throw him into the sea? I think at this point, and I think chapter 2 bears this out, I think what happened is Jonah has just basically given up. He's like, I'm busted. I can't escape. God's obviously going to kill us. See, so you might as well just start, throw me in, I'm dead. I disobeyed, God's judgment has come after me, he found me, so I can't run away from God, so I might as well just get over with, throw me over, at least you guys will get saved. You know, at least, at least you won't die or something, but just toss me overboard. So I think it's, it's a person who has resigned that he cannot run from God and he's given up because he believes God's judgment has found him and he's gonna die anyway, so you might as well just go for a swim. And that's, that's what he's saying, he's just given up because he knows that he's been discovered by God. But instead, the men did their best to row back to land. You gotta love these sailors. I I feel like I like the sailors more than Jonah. You know, Jonah's such a punk. And these sailors, I mean, yeah, they're worshiping false gods, but at least they care. You know, it's something about them that's a little bit charming. Anyway, whatever, that's just my reaction But the sea grows wilder. They can't fight God. They can't fight God. So verse 14, they cry out to the Lord, O Lord, please don't let us die for taking this man's life. Again, they're about to kill him by throwing him overboard. He's not going to survive in that storm. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O God, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And so finally he's discovered and he's thrown to his death. Jonah is thrown into the sea to die. And it's at that moment, it's at that moment that the great deliverance of God happens. The great mercy of God pours out in this story like a storm. There's disobedience, and then there's disaster, and then there's a discovery, and then it ends in deliverance. Right, because look what happens—he threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Wow, you know? Do you see the irony in all this? It's so there's so much irony in this whole story. But do you see the irony at this moment? It's like Jonah—he won't go to Nineveh because he doesn't want pagan, unbelieving people polytheistic people, idol-worshipping people, he doesn't want them to be spared from God's disaster. So he runs, and as a result, pagan, unbelieving, idol-worshipping people are spared from God's disaster. You know? You just can't. You can't outwit God. He's going to use your obedience. He's going to use your disobedience. He's going to use you when you're walking with him. He's going to use you when you're being a knucklehead. He uses us. He is God, and He rules sovereignly over all things, even our freely chosen actions. Somehow, mysteriously, in a way, we cannot understand. God rules sovereignly over all of these things to bring about His purposes. And look what happens, verse 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered Him sacrifices, and they made vows to Him. The pagans are coming to know the true God. Isn't that amazing? God is saving these guys. He's, he's showing them himself. Can I just pause there for one second before we read the last verse and, and just say, you, you know, uh, what an encouraging thing to see that God has done for these sailors. And, and I say that because I think a lot of us here may identify with Jonah. And, and certainly, I've been sort of preaching with an emphasis upon Jonah. And I'm, I'm preaching that because I know most of the people in this church are regular church people here. So I'm kind of speaking to church people, but but it could be that as you read this story, you don't really identify with Jonah at all. And if you identify with anyone in the story, you'd identify with the sailors. There's some of you here who are like, you know, I'm I'm not a, a churchy person. I'm not from this background. I have lived my own life. I've gone far a sea. I've lived the life of a sailor. So maybe literally, I don't know. I. I, I'm, I'm a person who would just try any religion or any idea. I don't know what's true. I, all that's up in the air for me. And I just want you to see that God can save the pagan sailors. And so if you're not the Jonah here, but you're kind of the person on the outside looking in, God can rescue you too. He has a heart for you too. And we know that because, check this out, God saved these sailors Lives and brought them to know him through Jonah, the the disobedient, runaway, two-year-old prophet, toddler. How much more can God save you through his son, Jesus Christ? Jonah didn't want to go. Jesus went willingly. Not from Israel to Nineveh. He came from heaven to earth on the great missionary journey. Jonah, uh, he, he didn't want any mercy for those bad Assyrians. But Jesus came with a heart full of mercy for, for prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and all the bad people and all the people who are irreligious and far from God. And Jesus made a beeline to them and he went so hard and so fast that the religious people were going, what What are you doing? I'm not free, I'm here for them. And, and Jesus, he died willingly. You know, Jonah was sort of like, fine, throw me in. And Jesus willingly went to the cross, not out of an angry resignation, but because that was his mission. And he died for our sins, and he rose again like we've been singing this whole service. And man, if God can save those sailors through a Jonah, think what he can do for you through Jesus Christ. But you have to cry out to him. You have to cry out to the Lord. And I just want to Plant that seed in your mind because there may come a storm in your life someday that you cannot explain, and it could be that God has come after you. And when that storm comes, maybe it's you're in it right now. But even if you're not, when that comes in your life, I want you to remember this day, and I want you to remember this text, and I want you to remember that those sailors cried out to to the Lord, and you can cry out to Jesus and be saved. And I'd also say, don't wait for the storm. Just call upon him today. Because God can save the sailors. And you know who else God saved? God saved that disobedient, runaway, toddler, hard-hearted, rigid, compassionless, obstinate prophet. God had mercy on the man who had no mercy for others. Verse 17, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we praise you because you came and found us you obeyed the Father perfectly. You, you are the anti-Jonah, Jesus. And Lord, if, if you could save people through Jonah, how much more could you save us through your loving Son who came to find us? And so, Lord, I pray that we would all be quick to repent, quick to obey. God, I pray if there's any brothers or sisters here caught in disobedience, Lord, that they would just be quick to turn back to you and cry out. Oh, Lord, protect our church from uh, a a, uh, a dead orthodoxy. Protect our congregation from having all the right truths and knowing where everything is in the Bible, but not having hearts of compassion and of long-suffering and kindness. Lord, help us to to be missionary people just as you're a missionary God. Oh, Lord, spare us from being pharisaical and self-righteous as Christians and arrogant. God, give us a tender heart before you. Help us, Lord, to be like Jesus who said, not my will, but yours be done, who always did the will of the Father. And God, I pray for anybody here who is one of those sailors, Lord. I pray that you would show them who you are, that they would cry out to you, that they would find out that there is a God who made everything, who created everything, and that, that they would see Jesus too and they would love him. Oh, Lord, we pray that, that it might not have to take a great storm upon our lives Or a great storm upon Boston. Or a great storm upon the United States to wake us up. But Lord, may your will be done. And may you call a people to yourself. Lord, we'd rather go through the storm and find you than be lost forever. And so Lord, speak to us, call us, reach us. Whatever it takes to get a hold of us, God. We pray that you would do it.